Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. Hi, everybody. Next Tuesday, November 30th, is National Giving Tuesday. It's a day when people come together to do something to support the causes and communities that mean so much to them. If you are looking to give to the Indoctrination Show, check out our monthly Patreon membership options or opt for a one-time donation at www.paypal.me slash indoctrination. That's www.paypal.me slash indoctrination. You can also participate in hashtag Giving Tuesday by sharing our episodes with friends and family and by following and sharing our social media too. Have a wonderful Giving Tuesday, giving to the organizations that matter to you. Thank you so much to all the people who support this show. To our newest shout out, Patreon member Mel Leos, and also to the people who have sustained us over a great period of time and who have our complete appreciation. To Stephanie, Jamila, Sheila, Holly, David, Donna, Jessica, Michael, Katrina, Peter and Cynthia, Camus, and Maureen. Knowing also that we are still in need of being able to get more in order to really sustain the show in the future, please pass the word onto anyone you know who would like to be able to support this show for the people who listen to it. And again, for the people who we have lined up who want to be able to tell their stories on this podcast. And for the people also who have gone to patreon.com slash indoctrination to become patrons of the show. You get a five-minute check-in from me each week as a gift to you. And now some fun merchandise that we've put together. And if you are going to be wearing the shirts or using any of the merchandise in any way, and you want to be able to take a picture and show that you have it and show that you're using the tote bag and whatever else is sent to you, we would love to see you modeling it for us. And we will put your modeling photo on our social media. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For many of you, you're going to be listening to this show during the week of Thanksgiving here in America. And it's an interesting time. It's a time when we get together, if we can, to celebrate, to commemorate, and to be able to also have a sense of community and connection. I know that in the way that I learned about Thanksgiving when I was growing up, it did not occur the way it was taught to us in the history books. And I'm so glad we now know how things went. And we now know that we really do need to honor the people who we did not honor early on when we made this country this country. At the same time, For many people who have not been able to be together because of illness, because of COVID, who are together for the first time this year because they've been vaccinated or they've made the decision to be together, I hope you truly enjoy each other. And for those who are still separated from the people they love, I hope that does not continue for too long. And I hope that you're able to do something that helps you not feel so isolated. We are thinking about you. Whether you are with family or whether you are alone, you are never truly alone in this world. And we also want to thank the people who make it possible for us to give thanks. The people who are generous and kind. The people who give to the show, of course. We are very grateful. 
And also to not forget that if you are able to enjoy a Thanksgiving meal, there are many people who made that possible who are not at the table. The people who came before you, who made you possible, and the people who are the farmers and the truckers and all those who make it happen. So to thank everyone for all the work in person, in an obvious way, and also from behind the scenes, the people who do not get the credit, but often do the backbreaking work. Happy Thanksgiving. And to all of those who do not celebrate Thanksgiving, I hope you have a wonderful week. Today, I am very happy to have Roberta Blevins on. She is someone who's going to be talking to us about multi-level marketing companies, multi-level marketing schemes, how they work, why they are successful, but mostly for themselves. And she's someone who has been on a lot of social media and a lot of media talking about her experiences. She's going to be speaking with us this week and also next week. Roberta Blevins is a former Hun, which she will talk about, who left the MLM world in 2017 and began publicly educating and speaking out against it. In her time in MLMs, she was involved as a consultant for three of them, including Lou LaRoe, which a lot of people have recently heard about. And she was also a customer of many when not a consultant. Since leaving MLMs, she has educated herself on the systemic structure of the business model, the psychological manipulation, the seedy underbelly and governmental ties, the cult indoctrination, and the history of multi-level marketing. And she educates daily on TikTok and podcasts in her quote-unquote free time, although she's very busy, talking to the survivors and victims of these commercial cults disguised as the quickest route to the American dream. Here's Roberta now. happy to have Roberta Blevins on the show today. Oh my goodness, you have such a wonderfully powerful story. And I love that you're like taking it on the road, right? That you have <laughs> all of these people who get to learn from your experience, which is quite a gift to give people. It's not always easy to talk about what you've been through and also how to understand it. You know, a lot of people will say that they were involved in some kind of group and then people will ask them how that happened. And they'll say, I don't know. I mean, I don't know <laughs> how to say that. I just know what happened. So for you, I'm sure you, along the way, you've needed to be able to kind of study how it happens. So there's a lot that you can teach us today. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So hello, my name is Roberta Blevins. I am an anti-MLM advocate, activist, whatever you'd like to call it. I was in not only the Vice documentary about LuLaRoe that came out a couple of years ago, but also in Amazon's Lula Rich documentary. You see me, I'm the dead fart leggings girl. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. I also have my own podcast where we talk to the survivors of multi-level marketing and, uh, work to end the stigma of failure in an industry that is designed for you to fail. It is called Life After MLM. And I talk to survivors and advocates and experts on the topic. And we break down the why and the how of people getting involved in these companies. Right. So failure, that's very interesting. So it's sort of set up for people to fail and then also to blame themselves, I suppose, for their failure. Absolutely. Yeah. Anytime anything bad happens in a multi-level marketing company, just like a cult, it is not the fault of the company. It is the fault of you. That's on you to fix because it's definitely not us. 
<laughs> so yeah, you're definitely going to feel that in multi-level marketing parading around as a business owner, because that's what they've told you that you are. You are not, you are just a, a rep or a consultant. Uh, you do not own <laughs> a business. So yeah, there's a whole nother level of you failed, right? Like you're not a salesperson. You just couldn't do it. It takes hard work. You just weren't working hard enough, I guess. So there's a lot of guilt that comes with that when you're leaving these companies as well. So we also work to, to end that because 99.7% of people that join multi-level marketing companies will lose money. And so if it's built that way, systemically, then failing means you've succeeded. And so we work to end that because I don't think a lot of people understand that. And when they leave, they feel like, oh, I failed. I'm such a loser. Everybody was right. I shouldn't have done this. My friends told me it wouldn't work. And you think that you're alone in this, that you're the only one that failed. But like I said, 99.7%. So you were definitely not alone. Right. And I'm so glad also that we're going to be able to talk about what to watch out for and how to notice it also in different groups, because I'm sure you've come across people who I come across where they got involved in something that sold something, and then they left that because they lost a lot or they thought it was kind of culty, and then they got involved in something else. I've had clients who were involved in Amway, who were Herbalife distributors, who a lot of actually husbands of people in Mary Kay who talked about having a husband's code where they had to get up in front of a whole group of people and talk about how they were not going to get in their wife's way. But they knew that already all the savings was gone and they had built all these shelves in their garage and all this product that they just didn't think they were ever going to sell. But in order to stay married to this person, they had to, in front of everyone, say they were never going to stand in her way and thinking, what the hell am I saying? Because we're going to wind up on the street. So tell us a little bit about you and what brought you into an MLM. Okay. Well, I am a mom from Southern California and you sort of have to be a two income family. I was in the salon really late nights and it was really good money, but I wasn't around and my daughter was really young. And I sort of fell into the trap of like, you're going to miss all the first, you're going to regret it. You're going to, you're going to think you're about, you know, that mom guilt that you get. And it's okay to miss first. It really is. And, you know, I had this sense of FOMO, like, oh my God, like I have to be home with my daughter. Like I have to, to find something else to do. And I would work in the salon, you know, I would, I would schedule around my husband's job so that he would be home while I could work in the evenings. And it was just too much. It was just way too much. I was a blogger. I was doing that too. So I was really busy during the day. But when MLM came knocking, you know, they promise you so many things. MLM's core competency is deception. And when you are a desperate mom, I'm, I was at home. I felt like I didn't have any community or any friends. I felt like very isolated, you know, and MLM comes and they say, oh, you're going to have like a sisterhood instantly. Like everybody's going to be rooting for you. Everybody's going to know how amazing you are. You're already feeling that yourself. Like I'm amazing. How come nobody notices it? And some stranger comes and tells you how amazing you are. They don't even know you. And they're telling you how amazing you are. You want to believe it, you know, and if you can suspend disbelief for just one second and believe a stranger who doesn't know you thinks you're amazing, then you can suspend disbelief for 10 seconds when they tell you something else, like you can own your own business and you're going to be amazing. You're going to be a rock star. I so desperately wanted to hear that from somebody that when someone told me that I was so ready to believe it, I would stay awake at night thinking like how I would decorate my in-home boutique and what paint I would paint the wall, what furniture I'd put in there, what my racks would look like, how I would hang things, the way I would fold leggings. I mean, it literally consumed every single thought that I had. It was the most wild thing. And in my ear constantly were these girls that were trying to recruit me. My friends are interested in joining. And they're like, oh, are you going to join LuLaRoe? I was going to join too. Maybe we can join together. So even on that end, I've got people that are very interested in it. And I'm like, okay, we can do this. We can it's constantly. It's every thought. I'm in so many LuLaRoe groups because I'm doing my own independent research. I want to see if things are actually selling as fast as they say they're selling. I'm going into these LuLaRoe parties and things are selling out in 15 minutes. And so my own independent research into how fast it was flying off the shelves really was all I did. I didn't look into the company because I couldn't find anything about the company. 
And I didn't even think like, look deeper, look into multi-level marketing. I just thought, look into LuLaRoe. Is LuLaRoe a scam? Couldn't find anything. Is LuLaRoe a pyramid scheme? Couldn't find anything. I was already on the right trail. I just missed the signs. So for months and months, I'm I'm being told like how great I'm going to be. You know, I hate to use the term grooming, but that's kind of what it was. You're going to be so incredibly busy. You're going to make so much money. And I'm just like, wow, you know, I'm not thinking anything other than, wow, like, look at what I'm going to accomplish. It's this really toxic boss babe culture. Uh, It's hustle culture. It's FOMO culture. And it's not sustainable at all. But when you are in it and you are high on that dopamine that's pumping through your veins because they're just constantly love bombing you and swarming you, you're like, I'm just going to keep zigging because zigging feels way better than zagging. I'm going to zig because I'm going to get some dopamine over here. And when you have your friends that are like, hey, this seems a little like kind of a lot. You're like, you just don't understand. You're just not part of it. You just don't get it. And you just sort of transfer your friends into the people that do get it, which are the people (laughs) that are also in your cult. Everybody I talk to every single day, every day, all day in multiple group chats, multiple Facebook groups. You join LuLaRoe, you get added to a Facebook group called like the queue. And it's full of people that are literally just waiting to onboard to LuLaRoe. Then you you leave that and you join your team pages, but you're going to be added to not only your uplines team page, but their uplines team page. And they're up in this like nesting doll of Facebook groups. And you're in every single, and it just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And and the information will disseminate, but like it's, it's very compartmentalized purposefully so. And then when you get farther in, then you're encouraged to create your own group and continue the nesting doll and continue that, you know, cup game. It's very interesting. So well said. It's so visual too. I really like the way you said that. How did you first hear about it? Where were they reaching out to people basically to recruit or to groom? A mom friend of mine who actually also ended up joining LuLaRoe had a pair of brightly colored leggings that she had posted in one of our Facebook groups. And I was actually at that time, just sort of looking for a couple pairs of leggings that stayed up. People that buy leggings, they know, like they know what good leggings feel like. And and she was raving about these leggings and, and she was like, you know, I have an extra pair. If anybody wants to try them, like I'm selling them for five bucks. And I thought I'll buy them for five bucks, but they were very comfortable. And I got enough compliments that I was like, hmm, okay, like maybe I'll look for a pair of black ones. Like, okay, I will definitely wear black ones. And so that started me on the hunt for black ones. Well, nobody had black leggings. I think I searched for a good four weeks for a pair of black leggings before I found someone that had a pair of black leggings. And in that search, I ended up joining all those Facebook groups that I, you know, use for research. I was looking for a pair of black leggings and nobody had them, but I was going to find them. And that became you know, another, like I have ADHD. So like, that was like the ultimate for me. I'm like, I'm on the hunt. And when I found them, that's what it was. I was like, oh my God. (laughs) So, so I was like, I can sell these. Why not? Right. So I decided I wanted to start a business and be underneath somebody who was in California. And I went on YouTube and I found this woman who ended up becoming my uplines upline. And she asked me almost immediately, well, where do you live? (laughs) I said, San Diego. And she goes, oh, I have a girl in San Diego. And she immediately like, ropes this girl in it. And I'm like, okay, like, what is this? And she's like, yeah, you know, now you have someone local. You can go try on clothes. You can go talk to her. She can help you. And I'm like, but I want to be under you. And she's like, well, you will be under me because she's under me and you'll be under her. And it's, it, it just all works out that way. And it, you'll be under me. You get both of us. It's better this way. And I said, okay. You know, I didn't know that I was being stacked underneath this girl. So I go and I meet this girl I try on some clothes. I end up buying some clothes. And then it's me trying to convince my husband that this is a good idea. And he's like, it's too much. It's too much work. It's too much money. You have too much on your plate. I said, but this could bring me home and all the other stuff that I'm doing. I wouldn't have to do all of those other things. And we argued about it for a while. And I think about after a month or so, he said to me, okay, if you're going to do this, that's fine. But you're doing this. This is your thing. You go out, you get your loan, your credit card, your money, however you're going to do it. You figure out where to store it. You figure out how to sell it. You, f- This is your thing. I said, okay, I can do that. All right, that sounds fair. So I go out and I do it. <laughs> I asked my mom if I could 
borrow a spare room in her house? And she said, sure. And I set up my Lula room. You can see pictures of the Lula room in Lula Rich <laughs> of me painting and setting it up. And that's another thing in Lula Row. Everything is a Lula something. So the room, the boutique that you set up in your house is called your Lula room. That's what it was. And I had it all set set up there. And I would go there, I would drop my daughter off at like her daycare, her her preschool, and go to my mom's house and work in my office and, and do all of my shipping and everything there. I felt very official. I was like, this is like very official. I think I made back my initial investment within the first month very quickly, very, very quickly. But everything went right back in, right? All the money that I made went right back in to buy more things. Well, now that you're doing so much more and you're selling so much more, you're going to need more to sell. Every time you sell one thing, just buy two more until you get to a place where you feel comfortable. I said, well, where is that? And they're like, oh, most people think like between seven and 10 in each size, in each style that you carry. And LuLaRoe has like, I don't know, so many styles, like 20, 30 at the time. And then it's from extra, extra small to three X. So you're expected to carry 80 items in each style. Like, wow, that's a lot. The boxes that you were buy completely sight unseen on the prints, the patterns, the, the solids, the stripes, whatever you would get. You could only purchase the style and then the sizes in that style that you wanted. So there's a couple different dresses, a couple different tops, skirts, whatever, leggings. You don't get to pick the prints because in LuLaRoe, the prints are all limited edition. They're always constantly changing. There isn't a catalog of prints that you could even choose from. And that's sort of the whole Beanie Baby thing, right? And in the beginning, most of the prints were decent. Like you weren't getting a ton of stuff that you're like, how do I sell this? But as they grew, the prints got so much worse, so much worse. And I remember like in the beginning, you could sell 90% of the box, no problem. In the end, you were lucky if you could sell 10% of the box. It was really bad. It was really, really bad. I remember shortly after Lula Rich came out, Deanne, the owner, she she popped on her Instagram. Someone sent me the video and Deanne was claiming, oh, you know, Lula Rich, don't watch it. You know, don't listen to it. It's just four retailers, just four retailers who are angry and just four retailers examples. Um, <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? There's only four people. This is absurd. There's tens of thousands of victims of LuLaRoe. There's more victims of LuLaRoe than there are consultants of LuLaRoe. And it's absurd to me that the owner would sit there and lie and deceive and say things like that. I mean, it's, I'm not surprised, you know, it's a cult, but at the same time, it's wild to me, the cognitive dissonance that these people have, that they can watch Lula Rich and they can see that these people are scamming, lying, just monsters, and then turn around and be like, but they've blessed my life so much. And I'm just, I'm so thankful for them. And I'm just like, wow, this is obnoxiously wild. Being on the outside, you know, you're probably wanting to shout like, no, 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 watch, open your eyes. I mean, some of that is they're very good at hiding, but I guess there are some people who just don't want to see yet because then what will that mean? Right. And we'll get to that part of your story of the turning things back around. It's a very brave moment. I have to say goodbye to it. I'm just wondering first, if you can tell us a little bit about the people who started this company what you, what you know about them and why they are doing this. Okay. Well, uh, the owners of LuLaRoe, which you meet at the very beginning of Lula Rich, the charismatic, narcissistic Mark Stidham and Deanne Brady Stidham. They are the owners of LuLaRoe. Uh, they started it in, I think, 2013. Before that, it was a maxi skirt business that Deanne started with her sister. Uh, they leave that part out, but Deanne did start LuLaRoe with her sister and then kicked her sister out for Mark. And then her sister actually owned, started and owned uh, her own MLM that was a direct competitor of LuLaRoe as well. It's a very twisted story, this, uh, this LuLaRoe MLM family tree. They met, I believe, on an airplane when they were either going to or coming home from a different MLM conference. They were with a company called Enola International. I believe that's what they were doing. There's so many, so many different stories and so many ways it's been told that it's all mish, mishmashed in my head. I think it's supposed to be confusing. <laughs> so they, they meet and they fall in love, you know, and they decide to get married and they've got all these kids. And so they're, they're, they're literally the Brady Bunch. That's Deanne's maiden name. Deanne's got four kids, biological uh, from her first marriage and then three adopted children from Romania. And Mark has, I don't know, 
couple sons. I know he has at least one son and I know he has a couple daughters. They say sometimes that they've got 13 kids or I don't know. They're, they're always changing the number. Not all of them are officially adopted. Some of them are officially adopted. Some of them are the whole like, she's my sister kind of, but not actually um, adopted. In fact, the children that marry each other in that is mentioned in Lula Rich are not even related at all. One is an adoptive son that they adopted as a child from Romania. And the other was a teenage Romanian girl that came over like as a foreign exchange student that ended up going to college. And she lived with them while this, the other son was not even in the house. And then they ended up falling in love and getting married, but they're not biological and they're not biological of Mark and Deanne either. It's an adoptive child and, and a, like a pseudo quasi she came to live with us and never left adoptive child. Um, and I find it more odd that they turn it into this quirky little incest marriage than what it actually is. To me, it's, it's more weird to create this odd, our kids married each other narrative than to just be like our adoptive son ended up marrying our foreign exchange student. It's not nearly as creepy, but they choose to make it creepy. And that's what weirds me out the most. That's the kind of people they are. Beauty and the Puppet Master is kind of what I say. Beauty and the Puppet Master. Yeah. Wow. I love <laughs> I, that. She's sort of just this like figurehead of, of femininity and positivity and sunshine and rainbows and unicorns. And he's always, to me, has always seemed more like the mastermind puppet master behind the scenes, sort of pulling all the strings and making everything happen. Wow. So I'm wondering then also just in terms of you getting started. So it was very exciting. You were making money. I mean, giving it back, but making money. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. There's like in parentheses, but really important, like all in caps, because that's a really important kind of diagnostic about the whole story that you get this rush, like you're saying the dopamine, but then there's not ultimately a lot to show for all of your hard work or your earnings, right? Because then you don't, you don't have it. You then put it back into all of this product. And then I guess it's all justified. Like it makes sense at the time, which I'm sure that as you're thinking about your story, you're thinking, well, that made sense at the time. Right. And there are probably a lot of moments like that where it made sense at the time. Definitely. And, you know, the other thing was doing LuLaRoe and being as busy and successful as I was, I was able to quit my salon job. And so any dollar that I basically made in my boutique went back into the boutique, right? Like I said, sell a shirt, buy two shirts, but my bonuses were different. My bonuses basically replaced my salon income. So I was not one of those people that's buying Louis and like going on all these lavish vacations. Cause I all of a sudden have an influx of 60 grand. Like I replaced pretty much dollar for dollar what I was making at my job that took me away. So People are like, you made this money. Where is it? And I'm like, it paid our bills and bought us food. Like it's, it was a wash. Like I wasn't making any extra money. It just replaced my current situation. I was a witness against LuLaRoe in the Washington state attorney general's pyramid scheme lawsuit. And my numbers, which is the numbers that I share in Lula Rich as well, were part of the evidence. And so that's how I knew my numbers approximately were. I only grossed about $5,000 in my boutique because I'm buying a shirt, I'm selling a shirt and buying two shirts, right? So I only made about $5,000 gross, but that went to buy racks and hangers and shipping supplies. So my boutique kept itself afloat. And then I had $65,000 in bonuses. So yeah, like there's no savings. There's nothing. It just, it was just another job, but I was doing so much more work because it was always with me. I wasn't doing hair when I left the salon. I wasn't doing hair when I was like watching TV. There was no somebody, there might be a client that's like, Hey, can I get a haircut tomorrow? But there was never somebody that was like, I need all of your attention. And I need highlights right now. The way that like people would message me and be like, I need clothes. Like, what do you have? Can you send me your link? I'm going to buy things. Hey, can you send me your invoice? I'm like, I'm watching movies with my family right now. Like your invoice can wait, Becky. (laughs) It was like obnoxious. And so like, you know, you trade things in. And yes, I was thankful that I was able to wake up when I wanted to and take time off when I wanted to and be my own boss. But I was already my own boss at the salon. I've been renting a booth for I don't know how long, like was already in charge of my own schedule and my own money and my own everything. So it's just very silly to me that, that I believed 
everything they were telling me because I was already in that situation of being my own boss. And they still were able to get me in and bring me in and lure me in, like Robert Fitzpatrick says. Right. So I would love for you to talk more about the lure. So the promises that are made and also how they probably read you, you know, if they saw that maybe you were faltering and how to get you in or how to convince your husband at the time, I mean, the words that you were given. So give the listeners a sense of that because people will say like, well, if you started having some doubts, like how come you, how come you didn't walk away? Usually there's so many reasons, so much clever techniques that are used that just don't let you say no. So what did they use on you? Well, this is a cult. It's a commercial cult. So there's going to be a lot of money involved here. And one of the things that they're always going to be using on you to keep you in is the sunk cost fallacy. So the idea that you have invested so much money and so much time, and if you gave it all up, what a waste that would be, which is another reason why people stay in bad relationships. It's not like a sunk cost, but it's, you know, it's the same sort of thing. It's like sunk time. Well, I put in so much time and energy with this person. Like, I don't want to start all over again with a new one. And you stay in bad situations because you think about like, especially someone like me with ADHD, I think of a task. It's not just going to get a cup of coffee. It's I got to pull out the pod and I got to keep the water and I, and there's all these little tasks involved just to do this. And so sometimes for me, I'm just like executive functions, like, no, there's too many tasks involved in this one task and we're not going to do it. And so it's the same with wanting to leave something. We're like, I really need to get out of this. And it's like, okay, but you just spent like your last $2,000 on those boxes. Like you're going to have to try to sell as much as you can to get a little bit of money before you can do that. And then what happens is there's a launch, right? Then there's some big launch and you're like, okay, I'm going to take this money. I just made all this money. I'm going to, I'm going to leave or whatever. Right. But now there's a launch and oh my God, it is going to be the most amazing thing you've ever seen. And if you can get this, your clients and your customers, oh my God, you could make so much money. You should take that $2,000 and you should buy LuLaRoe with it. Avon, Sensi, Mary Kay, Herbalife, Avon, whatever, Amway. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Fill in the blank, right? You should take that $2,000 because everyone is going to want this. And when you spend your money, oh my God, you will make $4,000. $4,000. And then you're like, oh my God. Okay. And then, okay, I'll, I'll still be in for two more. Okay. I can do two more weeks, but then I'll have twice as much money. But of course you're not going to sell everything. You're not going to make it and you're going to get stuck again and you're going to go boop, right back down to the bottom. So that's something that sunk costs, right? Like you have to stay. And then FOMO, like you're going to miss out on it. If you don't go through the holiday season, like you're not going to get the really cool stuff that's coming out for Christmas and everybody's going to want it. And you could sell all of that. And then you'd have even more money and you could leave in January. Oh, wow. Or yeah, I could just make it through the holidays. I could do this for three more months. I could do this. No problem. No problem. You're right. And then I'll have $8,000 in January and I could leave. And then I have way more. But again, that never happens. So it's always this promise, right? So you got the sunk cost fallacy. You got the FOMO. You've got the love bombing now and the swarming. And the swarming is the love bombing of of all angles, right? You're not just getting love bombed by one person. You're getting love bombed by everybody. You know what I mean? So there's always something that pulls you back in, whether it's guilt, whether it's FOMO, whether it's your own sunk cost fallacy, whether it's the swarming and the love bombing, for whatever reason, if you are only getting your advice from inside the organization, like you will continue to stay stuck. So I tell people like, you really do have to like have an anchor outside of the organization that is not involved in whatever organization you're involved in. Like not the company, not even the, like not even MLM at all to have an anchor to keep you in check, to be like, yo, (laughs) you said you were going to leave. What are we doing here? You know, I have a friend that's been trying to leave Monet, the hair, the hair stuff. Right. And it ruined her hair. I do her hair. I'm like, babe, your hair. And she's like, I know now she's finally off the shampoo, but she's still on the skincare, but it, but it's so good for my skin. And I'm her anchor. I'm like a well-known anti-MLM advocate and I still have friends that use me as their anchor that are like, but maybe my experience will be different. And I'm like, babe, it's not gonna be, but okay. Check that, check those numbers. You still in the green? I'm still in the green. Okay. You know, I mean, you, you need that 
It's incredible, though, that you've been able to maintain those relationships because, you know, whether or not they listen fully or listen partially, I'm wondering what you were told about people who were not in support of you doing this, how you were to view those people in your life who might say no or might say you shouldn't do this because your friends are trusting you still as a friend, even though they know where you come out on this. So you're doing something right with them. You know, this is sort of like the us versus them mentality that comes up in cultic groups, right? So so how are you to see people who said no to you or who were not in support of this? So when I was in MLM, definitely, like if you were to ask again, if you were to ask inside the organization and say, what do I do about this person that like just won't let up? They comment on everything and they say, you're in a pyramid scheme or they, I mean, I didn't really have anybody like that, but you know, we'll use it as an example. Block them. What? But they're like my friend. Block them. Well, why? Well, they're clearly not supportive of you. And, you know, and I never had anybody that was like, you're in a pyramid scheme run, but I definitely had people that were like, this seems a little too good to be true. And I was like, I know, but I'm, it's working for me, you know? And I did, my, my brother-in-law was like, you guys know you're in a pyramid scheme, right? And I was joking. Like they were, we were joking around the John Oliver special had just come out. He was like, you guys should watch that. You're totally in a pyramid scheme. And I was like, no, we're not. And then I ended up leaving LuLaRoe like a month later. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, I was like, maybe we are in a pyramid scheme. Um, <laughs> I, I remember watching that and being like, uh-huh, okay. How did I miss everything? So yeah, I had people in my life that were saying that, but I am not the kind of person that blocks people. I'm still not the kind of person that blocks people. I'm not going to block you because we disagree on something. That's so silly. You have to give people the opportunity to do better and be better. And if you block them, then they don't have that opportunity or you don't get to see that opportunity. And for me, like that's some of the best parts is like seeing people grow and learn and become better. I mean, I've made mistakes. I, I, I made a whole movie about my mistakes and, you know, I admit to it. And I came out four years ago and I joined effective and I said, I made mistakes and I was a predator. How do I make this right? You know, and that's, I say at the end, you know, I helped seven, I wanted to help 75 women get out and I've helped thousands and I've been doing this for four years. You know, if I blocked people, the people that needed to hear my message when they didn't want to hear it, couldn't hear it when they needed to hear it. So for me, I still don't block. Um, and I didn't block when I was in LuLaRoe, but they did very, very, very highly recommend that. You see it if you go on any of Deanne's Instagram, I'm blocked. Uh, she blocked me. Uh, <laughs> if you go on any of Deanne's IG live, she goes on IG all the time. If you say anything that would be considered even slightly negative, anything, she'll be like, block them, block them. And everybody will just start attacking you and you'll get blocked and just booted out. It's wild. It's really, it's really interesting. And so, yeah, it comes straight from the top. Deanne tells people to block, block them, block them, get them out of your life. They're no longer a part of your life. They're no longer a positive part of your life. Get rid of them, get rid of them, block them. <laughs> it's, it's wild. And the excommunication is very strong in LuLaRoe. Okay. Right. I mean, this is one of those things that you're not told about at the beginning that you're going to be encouraged to say goodbye to really significant people in your life. I'm glad that you didn't listen, but there are a lot of people who do, you know, and then their lives become very isolated and very limited. And then they have this closed loop of information. They have no one to really be holding a mirror up to their experience, you know, and that's, that is pretty dangerous actually. Also the sunk cost fallacy. I love this idea because yes, I see it so much in cults in relationships like I've put so much into this. And also I think the public shame piece of it, like I've told people it's the best thing ever, or I put people down for not being into it, or I put people down for not loving my boyfriend who everyone can see is a manipulative loser, <laughs> but I just can't see it yet. And so I think people are probably wanting to save face also. Absolutely. That's my whole thing is like, there's a stigma from leaving these groups. You don't have that stigma in like really big cults, right? If someone left Heaven's Gate, you'd be like, oh my God, I'm so happy that you got out of that. Wow, just in time. Like, that's what it would be like. You know, when people leave Scientology, they're like, oh my God, I'm so happy to have you back. But with MLM, it's not like that because people don't understand that these are commercial cults. I feel like there's two kinds of people and I'm trying to create a third, right? There's either the people that are like, MLM is the future. Or there's the people that are like, you're an idiot. They're pyramid schemes. And 
there needs to be the third person. And that's me. That's like, yes, you're right. They are pyramid schemes, but they're not idiots. They're victims. And baby girl, MLM is not the way. Let me show you some statistics. And so that's me in the middle. It's not black or white. There's so much gray in this because they are cult and people don't understand. There's over 350 MLMs. Like there are, there's so many people are like, wait, what? I did that. I bought from that. I did. I, I was a part of that. I joined that. They don't even realize it. They have no idea that they're, that they're joining these commercial cults. They're everywhere. They've been conditioned for the last 43 years that these are legal entities and they're totally legitimate businesses, but they're not. They're just protected by the government through loopholes. And these people are victims. And yes, they're perpetrators, but it's the weirdest thing because in these instances, we are both a perpetrator and a victim. But you don't realize that it's that because you've been told that it's called blessing lives. You're like, wait, no, I'm not victimizing people. I'm blessing their lives. I'm not preying upon them. I'm offering them an opportunity. It changed my life. It can change yours too. And I'm like, no, you're being predatory. Right. Okay. It's so interesting because in order to have that perspective, you have to sometimes have distance from it. And it is true too that a lot of people leave feeling guilty. You know, some of these like uh, therapy cults, I hate to even call them therapy, therapy cults or uh, sort of treatment centers, residential treatments that are from an unhealthy model, not all are unhealthy, but if they are, you're supposed to actually be really mean to each other and yeah, get like into other spaces. Thing. Exactly. Yeah. And play what's called the game. And, and the meaner, the better. People leave feeling horrible about themselves and the damage they think they caused and, and the damage they did, even though they're not to blame for it. But if you have a conscience, that stays with you. And I think a lot of people you know, in a lot of cults, they're supposed to recruit for the cult and they're supposed to bring in new members and right. And same with MLM. I wonder if there was some point where you were, let's say, getting someone all riled up and excited, but there was this voice inside your head that was saying, wait, I don't know if this is the right. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing right now. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But here's the other funny thing. LuLaRoe was so unbelievably popular. I never had to recruit. Everyone came to me and said, I want to do this. Can I be on your team? And I would just be like, yeah, here's my link. Or I'd have somebody who was like, hey, I've got somebody that wants to join. I'm going to put her underneath you because they were stacking me to build a little mini pyramid to bump up all the other pyramids so everybody could rank. Like even my sister, when she was like, you're making a lot of money. I was like, well, if you want to do it, let me know, you know? And she came to me one day and she was like, I think I want to do this now. I never, ever, it was such a high buy-in. I never, ever, ever wanted to ever pressure anybody to spend $5,000 because I knew if you didn't make it, I would feel guilty. Like, I told you, you could and you couldn't. And I never wanted to feel that way. So I never wanted to recruit. When I was in other MLMs, I was like, sure, you know, it's $99 to join. Sure. You should join. You could get a discount. But with LuLaRoe, I never did that. It was, it was just, there was too much on the line for me, I think, to to do that. There was too much conscience, but there definitely were people that wanted to join that I didn't think should. And they would come to me and they would be like, I really want to do this. And I was like, it's a lot of work. Like it's more work than I think you are prepared to like, Yes, work is work. Work is work. <laughs> As someone who has been working since the age of 14, like you don't you don't need to tell me that work is work. LuLaRoe is a completely different kind of work. Completely consumes your every waking moment kind of work and it it requires so much to be successful. Just MLM in general. Like you have to be willing to do so many things to be in that top 5%, which is really the only people that make any kind of like money at all. You really have to do a lot of things that you might not be proud of and say things and convince people of things. So I knew that there were certain people that just would not and could not do that. And I was like, I don't think this is the right thing for you. Like, But I really want to do it. I'm going to talk to my husband again, because I think this is real, and I can keep it in my living room. And I'm just like, I don't know. Like you, you have a tiny little house and you don't really have like an extra bedroom. Like, I just, I don't know where you would store it. Well, I can keep it in tubs and I can keep it in my garage. And I was thinking about this and I'm literally trying to talk them off the edge. And they've already, like, they've already groomed themselves. They've already, 
they have the answers to everything where I was like, I don't, well, where would you get, but I already know I'm going to do that. And I talked to so-and-so and and they're, they're, side, they're downsizing and they said they were going to sell me some of their stuff for half price so I can save money on that. And just the look of determination in some of these women, like I thought, I either say sure and I crush them because they're going to fail in an MLM that's designed for them to fail. Or I say no and I crush them because they don't think I believe in them. And I was just like, what do I do? And so I just knew that there was nothing. I, I'm the only person in life that I can control. And I knew that there was nothing that I would be able to do. If I didn't sign them, they'd find someone else. And I said, okay. And because they were my friends, I knew that I could keep an eye on them. I could see their financials in the back office. And I would sort of be like, hey, maybe you shouldn't be spending more. You have a lot of inventory. I don't think you need to be placing any more orders this month. Well, I really wanted to get this stuff. I said, well, hey, you know what? I'm going to order. I'll throw five in there for you. How about you just buy five? That way you don't have to buy 33 pieces. You can just buy the five. Yeah, I just wanted a couple just so I can just, I have like a couple people. And I said, okay, I can buy five for you. And I would do that sort of stuff because I felt so much personal responsibility because these were my actual friends. And I was like, if these people go under, like I will never forgive myself. And so there definitely was that, but it was just the people that I was, that I knew really well you know, that, that, that I loved and cared about, that I was like, I don't know about this. And I believe one of our friends and something ended up happening and the money she was saving for, to join LuLaRoe, she had to use for something else. She didn't join. And I think it really was the best thing that ever happened to her. She is the kind of person it would have literally financially devastated her to the point of probably bankruptcy. One more thing before you go. You know when you've been trying to describe something for a long time and you've been using a lot of words to describe it and then sociologists or psychologists, people from a business model come forward and just have this perfect term for it that encapsulates it in one, two, three, sometimes four words and you say, that's it. Oh, it could have saved me so much time and trying to describe what this is about. Roberta used the term that is now known within the business world and something that really plays a part in what happens within multi-level marketing. There's this idea of the sunk cost fallacy. How much money have you already sunk into something? It's like if you've ever gambled and you put money into a slot machine, I don't know how many still take money. I don't gamble often, but you'll feel like once you put in coins or whatever it is you put in now, or you go away from the table where you were gambling, you're afraid of leaving because you've already put so much into that. You've already spent so much and it will just kill you if the next person who comes up to that slot machine or that craps table or whatever it is, I'm talking like I know what I'm talking about with naming these different kinds of games. But anyway, you just know that it's going to kill you when you hear them winning and you think that was my money. I put so much into that. Not only did you put your money in, but you put your time and you put your hopefulness into each round. So it's the same thing with multi-level marketing. When you have to buy into a company right away, when you have to line shelves with product, when you have to buy things in order to sell them, then it starts you out with a sunk cost. Now, they will tell you that the only way to make money is to spend money, but what happens then is you think that if you're not making money back, if you're not selling the products, if you're not getting more people to buy into the company like you were told you were going to be able to, you're afraid to give up then because you think, can I actually stop right now and think that I wasted? I wasted this money. I wasted this time. I wasted actually money on buying shelves. I wasted the fights that I had in my relationship with the person who kept saying to me, stop spending our money on that. And so people do really hang on tight when they feel they've already sunk something into it. 
it happens when you see people saying, well, I already ate three quarters of this donut. Might as well eat the rest. Those are things that a lot of people might say. And those are much more innocent, not healthy, but innocent. What also happens, though, is that you have that within cultic systems. Where on a grander, more emotional kind of scale that has depth, that has pain associated with it. You think, I have devoted 10 years of my life, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, sometimes more. I've given up my career for this. I gave up my education for this. I gave up my marriage for this. I gave up my children for this. How can I leave now? I'm supposed to have done all that in order to get this payout, in order to have saved the world, in order to have had eternal life, in order to have been able to pass something on to my children that they couldn't get anywhere else or in any other way. How can I leave? And truth is, you can always leave. Because if you're having the thought that you've been wanting to leave, that the payout is just not coming, the carrot is just constantly dangled outside of your reach, then you're not going to be getting it. It was never meant for you. It was just a ruse to keep you connected. It was a ruse to keep you sacrificing more and more. And the only people who are getting fed by what you are giving are the others, the people who you are giving it to. So if you're giving devotion, but you don't get it in return, if you're giving over money, but you're not making it in response, if you're giving over your happiness or your youth, your promise, your future, but you're not getting something in return, don't stay. Don't say, because I've given so much, I have to stay. Say instead, because I've given so much and I haven't received, then I need to leave. Talk to you next week. Thank you very much for listening. Please support Indoctrination on Patreon at patreon.com slash indoctrination. Be sure to give us a follow on our social media. Find us on Facebook and Instagram using at Indoctrination Podcast. And for Twitter, find us at at underscore indoctrination. We love hearing from you too. So send us an email at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com. And for more updates on the show, visit our website at www.podpage.com forward slash indoctrination.